This is Listen Again with the Bridge, your opportunity to hear Sunday's message. We hope you enjoy listening, and it all starts right now. If you've been around here very long at all, you've heard the story of how the bridge began. Believe it or not, in December, we're going to celebrate 10 years of the bridge, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, I love telling the story, and part of the reason I love telling the story, I won't tell it this morning, even though uh, if you've been here very long at all, you've probably heard it more than once, but uh, how it all started with 32 people willing to uh, invest in this building, you know, put their hard-earned work into this, and if you look around, there's more than 32 seats here, and we're able to fill those not just once, but twice because of what has happened here at the bridge. And the reason I love telling that story is because it's way bigger than just us. It's way bigger than Maryville. It's bigger than our generation. It's, be honest with you, it's bigger than our lifetime. If I'm being honest with you, we're gonna grow old and die at some point, but this place is gonna keep going. And my goal, and hopefully yours, is that we leave it better than when we came. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So I want you to look in your Bibles in Psalm. Psalm chapter 78, verses five through seven, and I wanna show you what this says and why I'm starting here. Psalm 78, five through seven. If you don't have a Bible, you can read along on the screen. It says, he gave his laws to Israel and commanded our fathers to teach them to their children so that they, in turn, could teach their children too. Thus his laws passed down from generation to generation. In this way, each generation has been able to obey his laws and set its hope anew on God and not forget his glorious miracles. So basically from one generation to the next, the laws were given to the fathers so they could teach their children and their children could teach their children. That this whole idea of all that God has done All that he's done for you and me can be passed down from generation to generation. God created you and he created me for this very time. He created you not only for your generation that you're in, for those that you're involved with every single day that you work with, that you live with, all of that, but he created you for the next generation. He placed you in this time in history for a reason and the greatest calling we can have is to impart impart spiritual life into the next generation. We're not just called to protect and keep them under our safe arms, but to unleash not just well-rounded but single-minded generation that knows who they are and why they were created. Now there's a scripture in Proverbs that we use all the time to speak to parents. I'll be honest with you, I even use it when we do a baby dedication sometimes. And we believe that this scripture is written to parents. It's Proverb 22, six, it says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And yes, that scripture is applicable to parents. It is a good place to start when you're a parent thinking about how to raise your child, but it is not just to parents. Parent is nowhere in that scripture. And if you look, because this is in Proverbs, it was originally written in the Hebrew. When it says train up a child, that word for child is not the word in Hebrew that's used for offspring. So as much as this is a great scripture for parents, this word child, again, meaning a child, That's why it says train up a child, not 
your child. It's actually a challenge to all believers to leverage their influence in shaping the next generation. Now, what typically happens when we read that scripture is if we're not parents, we just go, well, that's a, that's a good scripture for parents, but that's not for me today. No, no matter your age, doesn't matter your role, if you're a parent, a grandparent, an uncle, a cousin, a cousin to your sister's brother, whatever you are, you are here to influence the next generation. As a community of believers, we are to embrace this shared responsibility to raise up and impact the next generation. Another misconception we have about this scripture is we think in this verse, if it says train up a child in the way he should go, if it, when he is old, he will not depart from it. If, if our children or the next generation grows old and they're not doing well, then we failed. Some of us even wear that scripture, the weight of that scripture, and we're thinking, we're carrying guilt because as we trained our child, in the way they should go. And as they got older, they turned from and are living contrary to what we taught them. We feel as though we've been a complete failure. I mean, after all the scripture promised, it said, if you train them up, then they'll never depart from it. Yes, parents, we should take responsibility. Yes, us as this generation should take responsibility for the next. But we want some kind of formula that says, if you do this, 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 and this, then your child's gonna grow up perfect. They're gonna wake up every morning and pray three hours before they go to school. They'll get home and open their Bible and read it for six hours because they just can't get enough of God and you know, they're gonna lead every person they meet to Christ. That's what we want. And when that doesn't happen, we feel as though we failed. The reality is there are no guarantees because every child has to choose his or her own path. I mean, we're not creating robots here. So what the scripture is telling us is again, we have a responsibility to invest in the next generation. And here's what this promise is. If we do it well, if we do it right, more times than not, we're going to see a child make right decisions, follow Jesus with their whole heart and make him Lord of their life. Which is gonna lead me to Mark chapter one. If you have your Bibles, look at Mark chapter one. We're gonna look at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry here on this earth. As you know, he lived 33 years on this earth. Three years of that, the final three, are him fulfilling the ministry that he was called to do. And it all began, Mark chapter one, verse nine. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth into Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus is coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. I'd love to be a witness to that to see the heavens literally open. And the next thing is they hear a voice from heaven. It is God speaking to his son, Jesus. And the next words they hear from heaven is you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. It's God affirming his son. And how much did this public affirmation, it must have meant something to Jesus. I have to think that that was such a huge moment for him, for God to publicly do this. And when you think about all the trials that Jesus went through, the temptation of the evil one, all the pain, the sacrifice, obedience even unto death, how many times did Jesus go back to that moment when his father affirmed him? 
Not when he made an A on the test in fifth grade. Not when he made his first soccer goal. Not when he made his first million in business when he was baptized. God opened heaven and publicly affirmed his son. So my goal today is that God would affirm many of you in the same way that God is going to show you just how much he believes in you, just as he believed in his son then. But if you read the text in its entirety, right after this affirmation from the father, Jesus goes into the wilderness and is tempted. Three times in three different ways, Satan shows up to tempt Jesus. If Jesus could be tempted... The, father, the son of God, then how much more are we susceptible to temptation? It's coming. And Jesus pressed through the temptation with his father's affirmation. He could always go back to that moment. And as soon as the temptation happened, so we have the father affirming him from baptism. He goes into the desert. He prays and he fasts and he's tempted. As soon as he comes out, we read that Jesus begins to invite 12 of the most unlikely, overlooked, uneducated people to follow him. If you'll leave what is important to you, Jesus said, follow me and I will show you what's important. And that's exactly what they did. They dropped everything they had. And he just said, let's do life together. I'll teach you everything you need to know and together we can change the world. And for three years, These 12 men, they didn't study a booklet. They didn't go through a formal class. They did life with Jesus. They just walked with him, talked with him. And at the end of that three-year period, we just talked about this at Easter. We know that Jesus was put on a cross to die. He was buried. Three days later, he rose. And we know that he comes back now to the eleven. Because Judas had portrayed him and he took his own life. But now there's 11 and Jesus appears to them. And I'm gonna paraphrase this a little bit, but he basically said, I believe in you. I have to go away, but I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit. He's even better than I am. He's gonna be within you. And then Jesus gives them the assignment. Go into all the world, preaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said this teaching them everything that I have taught you. Take everything you've learned from me and go share it with the next generation. That's exactly what Jesus called them to do and those 11 changed the world just as he thought they would. It's why we're here today. 2,000 years later, millions of people all over the world following Christ. Why? It all began with one father affirming his son. believing in the next generation. I believe it's one of the most important things we can do as a church. You can call it mentoring. You can call it investing in others. First Corinthians 11, one, Paul said it like this. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. It's that simple. We try to make this thing too complicated. If you're here today, it is because you followed the example of your mom, your dad, your Sunday school teacher, your youth pastor, whoever it was, someone brought you into life with Christ. Someone led you here. And what Paul was saying 
is Christ is my model. He's my mentor. I'm going to follow him. Basically, if you'll follow me, I'm just one step closer because I just started following. Come follow me and you're going to find what I'm finding from Christ. Follow my example as I follow his. Now we honored some graduates today. So for just a few moments, I want to speak to that generation. Not just to the graduates, but to those of that age. And there's, there's a particular age. And if Jesus, the son of God, again, could be tempted, I gotta think, how much more can we be tempted? And this next generation, it just gets harder and harder. It seems to me, the amount of temptation that comes your way. And I just wanna talk about three brief temptations. If you have your bulletin, they're right there on the bulletin. You can read along with me. The first one is this. You may be tempted to define truth as you see it. Most people in this generation have been taught there's no such thing as absolute truth. What's ironic about that statement is it's an absolute statement. So it kind of negates the whole premise of the idea of no absolute truth. But it's real common to feel like if it feels good, if it makes me happy, then it must be true. There's no such thing as absolute truth. We have a whole generation today who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, but I can still do whatever I want. If it's not, a, it's not a sin if it makes me happy and makes me feel good. Can I tell you, sin is fun for a season, but we learned last week that sin, our sin and our trespasses lead to what? We just talked about it last week, death. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, but thankfully, Jesus makes, a lot, makes us alive. Hear me when I say that truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I would encourage you to get to know the absolute truth of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. Not only is it gonna impact your life, you're gonna be able to impact the next generation. The second generation, second temptation for this next generation is they feel entitled. This one is not your fault. It's because your parents were busy. Probably both of them were working and they just did everything they could to give you everything you wanted. They wanted you to, to not feel in want at all so they protected you with helmets on when you walked down the sidewalk in case you trip and fell and got a boo-boo on your knee. You know, helmets were important. I never had a helmet. I didn't even have a car seat when I was growing up. Those are good things. I'm just being silly, but it's completely different than it used to be. You've never lost at anything. When I was little, we had to win to get a trophy. Now, you just show up, you can get dead last. Good job, Johnny, you get a trophy. So what we do is we begin to have this idea of this entitlement mindset. 12-year-olds that feel like it's child abuse, if you don't have the newest iPhone, you're laughing because you got one of them. You know what I'm talking about. How can I be cool if I don't have the newest phone with everybody else? We got people who are 25, and they feel like they deserve the same standard of living as someone who's 55, their parents, yet they haven't worked for it yet. I am not trying to knock you down, generation. I'm trying to help you understand there is a mindset that comes with that and it's dangerous. Most of this generation has a pretty good life and they feel like they deserve it. So when something goes wrong, they're mad at God because God didn't give them what they deserve. So when things are good, God doesn't get the glory, but when things are bad, God gets the blame. That is a dangerous theological state. I kind of showed up amped up. I don't know why. I'm excited about this. 
Third temptation to postpone adulthood. Postpone adulthood. It's a temptation of this new generation. Instead of growing with age, we're growing with the culture. That's a problem. Dr. Tim Elmore wrote a book. It's called The IY Generation, not even a new book. It's been around for years. But he said this upon his research of the next generation. He said, uh, one of the questions he asked is, when do you become an adult? Man, that is hard to define anymore, is it not? When do you become an adult? Here's the answers he didn't get. They did not say, when I'm old enough to drive, or when I graduate high school, when I'm old enough to vote, when I can buy beer, or graduate college with an MBA, or my first job, or even when I get married. The most common response to the question of when do I become an adult is when I have my first child. Now, since people are postponing marriage and they're postponing childbearing, we've got people in their 20s, even into their early 30s, who still feel like a kid in an adult world. They want the benefits of adulthood without the sacrifice, and that's really dangerous. They're saying, I don't need a job. Mom and dad will pay the bills. Or I'm 28, I'm not married. It's not real life yet. I've got a job. It's not the real job I want. Real life will start later when I get into the career. And the truth is, real life starts now. Don't be robbed of making the most significant contribution that you can because God calls you to make a difference today. And maybe somebody hasn't told you that they believe in you. That's why I'm here today is to tell you I believe in you and God believes in you. My prayer is that you would grow with your age, not with the culture. Mark and Tristan and Dave and I were able to attend a pastor's conference on Monday and Tuesday of this week. And one of the pastors that was speaking talked about the difference between old and older. The mentality of growing old and he said, growing old is, is not healthy because old, the old mentality goes back to the past and tries to bring it to the present. Old mentality clings to old lifestyles, old ways, resists change. They wanna go back to something they were before because now they're old. But the older mentality grows with age Older mentality looks to the future, brings it to the present in order to prepare for what's next. Big difference. The older mentality says, I still have room to grow. I still have room to learn. As I get older, there's still more that I can do. Oswald Chambers said it like this. He said, beware of looking back on what you once were when God wants you to be something that you've never been. So to this next generation, let me encourage you with two things. Be cause-driven. And I'm gonna say this because you already are. Be cause-driven. The mentality of old, again, goes back, but cause-driven says, man, there's things right in front of me that are wrong. There's problems in this world now, and I wanna take care of that. I'm not worried about what happened in the past. We don't, we, when I was little, we didn't care about what was happening on the other side of the world, partly because we didn't know. We didn't have the internet to know everything that's happening around the world all the time. Now you know everything that's going on, but the thing is, you know and it bothers you. When you see that there's countries with poverty, this generation is cause-driven and our world needs you. 
We need you to step into that cause and do something with it. You have the ability to make a difference and I believe you can. Most of you, you don't have a job, just want a job that makes money. You want a job that means something, that is significant, that actually has a cause to it and that's good. Things bother you. You maybe never been to Africa, but when you see that there are children dying from the lack of water, then that bothers you and you wanna do something about it and you are the generation to do something about it. So be cause-driven. Secondly, be mission-minded. Be mission-minded. Others, you, you heard someone talk about human trafficking and you're like, this goes on in my country and you wanna do something about it. That's good. You're cause-driven, you're mission-minded. You may have a friend of a friend who has cancer and they're raising money. You'll shave your head to raise $5 for the friend of a friend because you care that much. That's a good thing. Use that. Be cause-driven and mission-minded. The problem is Satan is going to try to talk you out of living for that cause today. You think, man, I gotta do something about that, but I'll, I'll do it later. I'll do it when I get into the real world. And something's telling you that real life starts later. You know, Paul mentored Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, he said, for this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. Can I tell you, generation, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. Now, Paul said, through the laying on of my hands, we're gonna do that later. We're gonna lay hands on you and we're gonna pray for you. For God gave a spirit of not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. There is more in this next generation. Don't buy the lie. Fan into flame the gift that God has given you. It's in there. And it's ready to be used. Another thing that Paul told Timothy we use this all the time when talking to the next generation. First Timothy, Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. I love that and I believe that and I love telling you that, but that gets cliche. We hear that and we're just like, yeah, I know. Don't look down on me because I'm young. It's actually the next part that I really like. Yes, you shouldn't let anyone talk to you out of doing what God has called you to do today because today you're called. I don't mean Sunday, you know, April, what is it, 30th. I'm not talking that. I'm talking today in your world, it is time for you to step in and not let anyone look down on you because you're young, but step into that role that God has given you. But here's what it says. Next, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Set an example for all believers. That means some of us old people, I'm calling myself old, I don't like it, but I'm here. You need to set an example for us. Set an example for all believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. So it's not just, hey, you're young, don't let anybody look down on you. It's also got a second part of that that we don't always remember. Set an example for all those around you. And you know what you're gonna do? You are gonna change the world because when other people see what you're doing, they're gonna want in on it. They're gonna say, if he can do that, surely I can do this. Don't be deceived. Excuse me if I go baseball for just a moment, but some of you in the next generation, you're, you're, when, when I think baseball, there's, there's a batter's box. There's the person in the game, but then over on the side, there's the on-deck circle. They're just warming up. They're just watching the pitcher, checking out who's on first, 
what's on second, you know that. They're just hanging out in the batter, or the, the on-deck circle, waiting to get in the box. And some of you think you're up to bat next, and can I tell you, you're up to bat now. It's time to step into the box. Please don't rely on the older generation to get it done. They're what got us here. They're already on the base. They've already been playing. Somebody's gotta knock them in. There's some people on first base, second base, third base. You gotta bunt at least, you know, give, give somebody the chance to move. The church exists because people stepped into the box and they hit the ball out of the park, some of them. That's why we're here in this place. I love telling the story of this place because people stepped into the box and did what they were called to do. But next generation, you're no longer the church of tomorrow, you're the church of today. This is your church. This is not your mama's church. It's not your daddy's church. It's your church. You have to believe that. Don't let anyone talk you out of it because you're 18 or 25 or 32 and you still feel like a kid in an adult world. This is your church today. Some of you grew up with parents that were casual Christians. I'm gonna talk to my generation for a moment. There's some people of my age and even older that grew up going to church but didn't even know Christ. They knew the things of God but not the power of God. Maybe they didn't set the example they should have. But when you experience the power of God, you're gonna not only reach the next generation, you're gonna reach your parents, you're gonna reach all those around you. What did that say earlier? Set an example for all believers. God can use you. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. You don't have to be affirmed by men when you know that God has called you to do something. That's all you need. I want you to know that God believes in you. I believe in you. And I'm excited about the next generation. I'm excited about where we're going. He planted you in this time in history because it's the best time for you to use your gifts to glorify him. Think about that for a moment. I don't care who you are in this room. He planted you for this time, for this moment, because this is the time when you could use your gifts to bring God the most glory. This is personal today. This is talking to me today. I'm not just talking to you. This is for all of us. God created you, not just for your generation, but for the next generation. So here's where I wanna close this out. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you, were not, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Don't put off serving God until later. Don't think that'll come when I have a job that is a career. That'll come when I graduate college and step into something. That'll come when I find a spouse. No, now is your time. Now, for everybody else listening, you're saying, oh, this sounds good. I need to tell my grandchild about this and have them. No, this is for you. Again, this is personal today. This is to all of us. Don't just hear it and think it's for someone else. Go and do it. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's to all of us. 
Mentoring is not a sit down formal, point number one in the book kind of a thing. You're doing a life with someone. Follow my example as I followed the example of Christ. Can I tell you, if Paul were with Timothy today, they'd be sitting at Starbucks doing life together every morning. They'd be talking, hey, how's life treating you? What's new in your world? How's that job? You know, they'd be connecting and Paul would be leading him through life together. And you can say you don't have time for it. You choose to not have time. We have to invest and we have to mentor and walk with me and do life with me as I do life with Christ. And as we do that, God will impart and empower the next generation to be the church to reach this world. Can you say amen to that? Teachers in the room, we have a lot of teachers. A lot of faculty, a lot of staff. There's a lot of people leaving that profession because of how hard it is. And I get it. It's harder and harder to connect with those kids, to really truly get them to do what you need them to do. But what if that boy or girl that you're investing in, what if that one that's hard, that you have a hard time connecting with or getting them to listen or even tying them down, they're just like kind of all over the place. Think about it. What, what if they someday preach a sermon that brings the last soul into the kingdom? I was one of those kids. I stood in the back of the classroom. I couldn't stand to sit down. I would get up, I'd ask the teacher, can I just go walk back and forth? She let me. I just walked back and forth because I couldn't sit still. I listened better that way. Thankfully, she let me do it. What if the next generation that proclaims the gospel is the last generation to proclaim the gospel? Would we be trying harder to let them know what they need to know. See, Jesus was talking about this. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. He was talking about the future. And he said, the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then he said this, and then the end will come. We don't know when that's gonna happen. But we need to live as if tomorrow that could happen to live that if next week that happened have we imparted Christ into the next generation have we told every soul that we could about Jesus Christ for those of you graduating today can I say congratulations we love you way to go this is not the finish line God needs you as you dive into whatever vocation that you dive into, you still have a calling on your life. He created you, not for next. He created you for now. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray that today this is personal for all of us. Lord, I've been working on this all week, so I, I get a, a little bit of an idea of what's coming this is taking some of us by surprise today. But I pray that we would hear your words. Lord, that they're not hearing this from me. That they would hear my heart to know this is coming from you today. Lord, we have a job to do. You led by example. You affirmed your son. And in doing that, he began to ask others just to follow along with him and so began changing the world. 
Lord, we get to be a part of that. We have the opportunity to be a part of that, to do exactly what Jesus did. Just go find someone and say, come along with me and do life together and let's change the world. And there's a generation ready to do that. They are cause-driven, they are purpose-minded, they are mission-minded. And I pray that they would dive into that, God, and use the gifts and the abilities that you have given them. And that they would be empowered to step into the box and Lord, get the hit. Whether it's just a single, whether it's a double, a home run, grand slam, whatever it is, Lord, that they would just begin to get those hits. Not just for their generation, but for the next generation. the seniors that just graduated high school, college, whatever you are, if you'll just stand right where you are, I don't wanna embarrass you, but I just wanna pray for you again. I know we already did. Okay, now I'm gonna ask all of us. You see these around you that are standing. I'm gonna ask all of us to stand, but if, if one of these is standing around you, would you just reach over and place your hand on them? Just as Paul said, by the laying on of my hands. That's what he said, that Timothy was gonna be able to do what he needed to do. And so we're gonna ask you to pray for one of these in the next generation. Will you all stand right now, every one of us? And if someone is close to you, will you just reach over and place your hand upon them? And let's just pray a prayer over them. God, we come to you, Lord, for this next generation. Maybe your son or daughter's next to you. Lay your hand on them and pray for them right now. Father, we pray for the next generation people that you have called for this very time. In this time in history, God, they can make a difference. They can reach a lost world. Lord, if we're willing to impart what you've taught us into them, and God, I pray that you would use us to do that. Help us to lead them, to teach them, to train them, to encourage them, to affirm them. And Lord, as they step into a new role, whether that's in college or maybe to a, a profession, Lord, that you would give them the ability, the strength, the boldness to be used of you. God, to take the gifts that you've given them and be able to speak to that coworker, to that student, to that roommate, to that friend, to continue the next generation. Lord, we can't even begin to fathom how important this is, but we know and we feel the tension of this a desire that you have for us to carry on what Jesus began. And we're asking that you would help us to do that today. Every single one of us in the room that we would take this personal, God, that you would use us to empower the next generation, whoever that is, whatever the role that we play in that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen.